Hey, good to see you. What amazing venue. Is it, is it feeling like home? Getting there. It's getting there. My, my problem is I want to get closer to you. So if anyone taking bets on whether I'll actually fall off the stage or not, then uh, you might be in a good chance if you say I will. Um, We've just uh, come hot-footed from uh, a couple of provinces in your great nation. We've been spending some time in Ontario, where we have about 12 churches that are working together, and uh, it's exciting to see some new church plants happening there as well, and also to see some adoptions of churches from the states into that team as well. So that's quite interesting to see the influence of God from Canada down that way, which is quite encouraging, isn't it? Because sometimes it always seems to flow the other way. And one of the prophetic words we're carrying as a team in Canada is that God would raise up strong local churches here that would bless the nations. And we kind of start with the nation next door, and it's good to bless the nation next door. It's very important that we do that. Uh, then we've been spending a couple of days on Prince Edward Island in uh, uh, the uh, company of the Drysers. They send their love to you. Uh, they're doing a remarkable job. God is adding to them incredibly. There were 67 people there last Sunday morning. Isn't that amazing? They've only been going eight months. That's incredible. I think it's just worth a little, a little ripple of clapping. I, I know you're Canadian, you know, it's uh, yeah, a little, little ripple of applause is quite good. And they're doing a fabulous job there. Uh, I would honestly say we're dealing with church plants all the time. It's one of the best church planting teams I've ever seen. Just the quality of people God has given to them uh, in Charlottetown is breathtaking. It's remarkable. I said to Andrew, I, I said to him, Andrew, this is really good. Don't screw this up. <laughs> and he said, I won't, you know. <laughs> But Andrew and Janet send their love. They're doing great. So uh, well done for sending them. Well done for hosting them and blessing them on their way. Now, if you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to my favourite book. Any ideas what my favourite book is? Oh, good. So, uh, who, who was that? Yeah, I probably told you before. My favourite book of the Bible is Ephesians. I don't know if you're allowed to have favourite books of the Bible. Don't tell Terry. Uh, but uh, it is actually my favourite book of the Bible. Let me give you some quotes about Ephesians. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Pause to genuflect. Dr. Martin, that's a little joke for Mark. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Ephesians that it's the most majestic expression of the gospel in all the Bible. It's a wonderful book. Uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, says this. It's the key to unlock all understanding of Paul's doctrine. John Hosier, a teacher within the family of churches of New Frontiers, says Ephesians is his favourite book, but probably Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, is probably the most splendid chapter in the whole of the Bible. That's quite impressive. And Terry, to quote Terry, he'll be with us this week, says this, that in all the mountain ranges of peaks of chapters in the Bible, Ephesians 1 is the Everest amongst them. So I love Ephesians, and I love Ephesians chapter 1. So let's turn to the book of Joshua. No. no let's <laughs> so let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Really, I just want to underline two verses that I felt God has given to me for you, specifically here for Christ Central. We're going to build on some of this in the conference because I'm going to unpack some more of this uh, in my session on the conference. But let's just read 
this incredible verse. Before I do that, let me just say, Ephesians is amazing because it tells us what God was doing before the foundation of the world. There's not many books in the Bible that tell us what God was doing before creation started. In fact, the Bible starts with the creation of the world. It doesn't tell us an awful lot about what was happening beforehand, but Ephesians actually does tell us what God was doing beforehand. This is not the verse that we're going to preach from, but Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this, He chose us in him before the creation of the world. What was God doing in all of eternity beforehand? What was he doing in all of that time and space? If indeed time and space existed, probably not in the way that we understand it, but what God was doing in his beautiful Trinitarian relationship amongst himself was choosing you. He was planning you. He was going to intricate detail of the place where you would be born, the very parents you'd have, the schooling, the education, the character, the personality, all culminating in that one day when you recognized Jesus as Lord. When you said, yes, this one Jesus did die for me. Yes, this one Jesus has been risen again from the dead. Yes, this one Jesus is raised gloriously to life. He is seated at the Father's right hand. He does rule and reign and I will submit my life to him. It all culminated in that. You think you chose him. Rubbish. He chose you. And he went to an awful lot of divine effort to do that. But it also tells us in Ephesians what God will do in the end of the world, as it were. What he will do at the end of all things. So this is the verses I want to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will. It's an open secret now. He's made it known to us. It's no longer a mystery. It was a mystery in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the Old books, in the Old Scriptures. It was mysterious. We didn't understand it. It was like looking through a fog. We got a little glimpse of it, but we didn't fully understand. But he's now made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure. He's really thrilled about it. He's very happy about what he's doing. What it, bless you. What is he doing? He has purposed in Christ for his will to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. It's kind of building up. It's building up. He's going to put it into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What is it? Tell us what it is. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The whole purpose of history, the whole march of this planet, the whole march of all that's going on is to sum up, to bring everything under the authority of Christ, to make Christ central, to put Jesus as Lord, to reveal his kingship and his lordship over all things. Now the problem is for us, we live in a slightly strange culture. We live in a postmodern culture. We live in a culture that's kind of separated heaven from earth. We think of earth as this solid matter here, the people around you, the places on the planet that we can see, touch, feel, drink, eat, etc. That's the earth. And we tend to think of heavens as some spiritual, weird, 
odd place up there somewhere in the clouds. When I was a child, we used to sing this song, Somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. And it was like, it's out there somewhere, it's outer space. It's like, we don't know where it is. But actually, the point is this, God is rejoining heaven and earth. And one day there will be a wonderful joining, there will be a wonderful celebration. And it's not that one day we'll go to be with Jesus when we die on some heavenly cloud, some fluffy chubby Dan, you know, playing his little guitar, you know, on, like some fluffy cherub. He's a, he's a bit, where, where is Dan? He's a bit cherubic, isn't he? In, in, in a good way. You know, when he said about his guitar getting smaller, what were you all thinking? It's not the guitar getting smaller. <laughs> we joked. It's all right. I, I said that to his face. We joked. He said, I don't want to get any bigger. <laughs> I don't want to cross him. He's a big guy. <laughs> But, you know, it's not like Dan on some, some fluffy cloud and up in the heaven somewhere. No, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a rejoining of that which seems to be separate now. And the problem is we live in this Western world viewpoint which has separated heaven from earth, which we're quite happy to have a God up in heaven. We're quite happy to have God up in heaven as long as we don't have anything to do with him. We're quite happy to have him up there as some benign Father Christmas. We're quite happy to have him up there. And one day, maybe, if we're good enough, if we've done the right things, we'll go up somewhere in outer space to sit with him on a cloud. But we don't want him to have anything to do with us now. We don't want him to invade our life, to spoil our pleasure. We don't want him to rule and him to reign. No, no, no. We kind of want to keep the two separate. But God, in Jesus, is joining the two up. The amazing thing about when Jesus came, that he was the joined up man. He was God's presence on planet earth. He was the man who embodied the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God. He was the man who came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And amazingly, he's joined that up. And if not careful, Christians, we kind of pick this up and we talk about two realms ourselves. We talk about the spiritual realm. You know, we had the spiritual realm this morning. We had the God realm this morning. We were all spiritual this morning. But then tomorrow, we'll have the secular realm. We'll go to our secular jobs. We'll go to that nasty world place. No, actually, God's joining up all things. And one day, all things will be revealed as one in Christ. And we're not to live two lives. We're not to live spiritual lives here, separate from secular lives here. Actually, we are to be, in Christ, the joined up people. We're to be the ones who embody heaven on earth ourselves. We'll come back to that in a moment. What God's doing is God is rejoining what was broken. He's bringing it all back together. That word there, when it says to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head... It's literally this word, it literally means to bring back together again, to reunite, to reconcile, to reharmonize, to bring it back together. And it's hinting that it was once one. It's hinting that at one time, heaven and earth were actually together in one place. It's hinting at the Garden of Eden. 
It's hinting at the beginning. It's hinting at when God made the earth, heaven and earth intersected beautifully. It was God's temple. It was God's dwelling. It was God's place on earth. And he'd come and walk and dwell and talk with man. And the word has the sense of resonance. The word has the sense of harmony. The word has the sense there that it once upon a time all was in harmony. All was in tune together. It all rang to the same song. It all resonated to Jesus is Lord. It all resonated to God is King. It all resonated to He rules. It all resonated to this earth is His. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It was in tune. It resonated beautifully. You get little hints of that in Scripture. It says in Job... 38 verse 7, I laid the earth's foundation, God says, while the morning stars sang together. It's it's implying this beautiful harmonic and all the angels shouted for joy. I love the writings of C.S. Lewis. You like C.S. Lewis here. I think lots of us do. Kevin and Marilyn's bookshelf is rather heaving with C.S. Lewis's books and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia as I was growing up are some of my favourite books and it's a great illustration isn't it? Narnia and paralleling earth and it's a great allegory uh, about that and this is in The Magician's Nephew, one of the books that isn't so well known and it describes how Aslan the lion, who of course represents Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah is he safe? No, but he's good It, it talks about Aslan the lion singing the universe into being This is a quote from it. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It seemed to come from all directions at once. Its lower notes, like Dan's, were so deep that even deep enough to be the voice of the earth itself. But there actually were no words. There was hardly even a tune. It was beyond comparison. It was the most beautiful noise the boy had ever heard. It was so beautiful, he could hardly bear it. And it's this song that was sang when all creation sang and was in harmony and sang the same tune. Interestingly enough, there are some physicists which say that there is a resonance in all creation, that you can hear this resonance. There's one Christian physicist I came across, a guy called Dr. Don Hatch. He said this, the universe, it's almost as if the universe is composed of music. Everything is made up of types of waves and pulsating vibrations. The sad thing is, it's out of tune. The sad thing is, this world is out of joint now. The sad thing is, right now, because of man's rebellion, because of Adam and Eve's pride, because of their sin, because of going their own way, it's like we are now disunited. We're disjointed. We're not in harmony anymore. And the song that the angels once sang perfectly in tune, the song that Adam and Eve and all creation sang, is now disharmonious. It's not harmony together. And at first of all, when Adam and Eve sinned, there's thorns and thistles start to grow with disharmony. 
then diseases and death start to come in. And by, by Genesis chapter 4, man's killing his own brother. They're killing each other. This disunity isn't just now a song. It isn't just now a feeling. It isn't just now something that's in tune. It's actually spoiling human relationships. And now we have deserts and earthquakes and pollution and holes in the ozone layer and tsunamis. It's like the whole of creation. In fact, that's what Paul says in Romans 8. The whole of creation is groaning. It's like, oh. And then he says, but it's actually groaning in childbirth so that God's kingdom might come. We'll come on to that in a moment. And Jesus came to put right that which was wrong. There's a hint of it in the garden. I love the hints in the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus on the road to Emmaus described every scripture as leading to himself. He described all of the Old Testament. It's all about him. It all culminates in Jesus. It all is about him. And you get this weird, even at the moment of judgment, even at the moment where Adam and Eve are suffering the curse, suffering the penalty of God, God says, but one day, the seed of the woman, singular, the man, the seed of the woman will come and he will crush the serpent's head. And of course, the serpent in the Old Testament, the serpent in the garden represents the enemy. They should never have let the serpent in. They did. But one day it says the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head. I love what Mark read out this morning. Colossians chapter 1 and 2. Through Jesus, God is going to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood and having disarmed the authorities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Jesus came to right every wrong. Jesus came, as it says in John 1, 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, to put it to bed, to put it to death to reunite heaven and earth, to sing again in tune. I love uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you've seen that. came out, I guess, about 10 years ago now. came out with a, <clears throat> what we would call an 18 rating. What would you call that here? An R rating. And uh, some Christians are a bit nervous about seeing it. I thought it was a fabulous film, actually. I thought it was a very moving film. And uh, in that, there's a wonderful scene which is a bit spooky. It's a wonderful scene, which is actually a bit scary. It's probably one of the reasons that it was an R18 certificate, because it's not about the blood later that's to be spilt. It's Jesus in agony in the garden, agonizing together with his Father, knowing the pain and the suffering that he must endure because of our sin. And in that, Jesus is praying. He's heavy-hearted. The disciples are asleep. He's heavy-hearted in the garden. And as... He's praying as the mood gets darker and the moon gets eclipsed. Thank you. As the moon gets eclipsed, he's praying. Suddenly you're aware of another creature. Suddenly you're aware under the corner of his robe is the slithering serpent. And it's scary. 
because you want to shout out, Jesus, there's a snake. He's behind you. And Jesus magnificently rises in faith, looks down with such scorn at the serpent and simply does this. Dead. It's frightening. But that is exactly what was going to happen hours later. When Jesus hung on a cross, when he paid for all our sins, when the moon again went dark, when the nails were going in, when he was carrying the sin of the world, all our shame, all our guilt, all our weight, when he was doing that, he was crushing the serpent's head. He was dealing forever with the problem of evil. He was putting every wrong right. He was paying for every injustice. And for your sin and for my sin. And he once again joined heaven and earth. He once again reharmonized the whole of creation. At that very moment, the temple veil, which was the thing that separated the presence of God from planet Earth, was rent in two from top to bottom. God says, it's joined up again. Heaven and earth are one. There's unity again. We can sing the song again together. Often we see the cross personally and the resurrection personally. Jesus died for me. He's alive for me. Let's never lose that. It's right to personalize everything that God says. It's right that we take it personal. It's right that we take it seriously. It's right that we own it. And at the end of this message, I'm going to call for people to take it personally. I'm going to call. You may never have done it before. You may never have personalized the gospel. You may think Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but you've never said, yes, Jesus, you died for my sin. You died for my my guilt. You died for my shame, for my disunity, for my disharmony, to put me right with God again. You died for me and I'm going to call for you to say, yes, I'm going to put my life right. I'm going to call where there's disharmony in your physical body because one day these physical bodies are going to be reharmonized. They're going to be restored. And I'm going to call for if there's any disharmony in your body, I'm going to call for it to be put right now as a foretaste of heaven. It's right to take these things personally. But the problem with Western Christianity is we only personalize. We only personalize things. And we've got to understand that this is the cross and the resurrection have a cosmic dimension. That one day God is going to restore all things. And at the end... We don't see us going up to be with heaven. In the end, we actually see heaven coming down to be with earth. Revelation 21, 2 to 3. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them forever. God is about a cosmic restoration. God is about, there's going to be a new Fredericton. I mean, this one's pretty glorious, but there's some unglorious parts of it. It's all going to be made new. It's all going to be restored. And there'll be no more long winters. (laughs) There'll be no more flooding. (laughs) 
And we don't know what it will be like, but we know it will be glorious. And we know it will redeem the, all the earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17. Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Acts 3, 21. Jesus is remaining in heaven until the time comes for God to restore, redeem, reunite everything. John Piper says this. I love this quote. There'll be no more destructive tornadoes or hurricanes or floods or droughts or plagues or diseases or accidents or harmful animals, insects or viruses. The prophecy of Isaiah will have come to pass. Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. And what will remain is a culmination, a coming together of all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There will be, in his return to planet earth, a triumphant declaration that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord of all. Or as Paul says it in Philippians 2, 10 to 11, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Or as John puts it in Revelation, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And we will be singing forever. I love what Lisa shared. We'll be singing, such a game changer. We'll be singing forever. She said, all day, all night, if there will be a night, who knows? All day, all night, and then some. And we'll be singing the song of all creation. We'll join in again with the creation song. We'll join in again with the song. Do you know what that song is? I can tell you what that song is because the Bible tells us what that song is. It's worthy is the Lamb. Honour to Jesus, praise to him, glory to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the song that we'll be singing. And we get caught up in that rain. This is the amazing thing. We will be caught up in that rain. You see, if it's going to be Dan in a fluffy cloud playing his harp... It's not that exciting, is it? You know, once you've played Kumbaya a few times. But actually, living for eternity in a restored, renewed planet Earth, with Jesus as Lord, with us with resurrected bodies, no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, with us worshipping him, loving him, enjoying him forever, It's not just going to be a long worship service. Because some of you kind of get bored after an hour. It's actually going to be stuff for us to do. Now, I don't know what the stuff is. The Bible hints at all sorts of things. It says in 2 Timothy 2.12, We will also reign with him. So we'll get caught up in his reign, in his rule. We'll be caught up like Adam and Eve were supposed to have been caught up to bring in his presence, to bring in his kingdom, to bring in his rule to all of creation. It says in Revelation again, Revelation 5 and 22, 5, 10, 22, 5, you've made them, us, to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. They will reign on earth. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light. Maybe no data, maybe no nighttime, who knows? Little hint there. And they will reign forever. 
Dear friends, we need to understand what the cross and the resurrection has done. It is a game changer. It is totally changes everything. For one day, the cosmic reality of what the cross and the resurrection has achieved will reverberate through the whole planet. All things will be made new. Jesus will be revealed as Lord to all things and will be caught up in that reign and reign and work with him, have tasks to do with him forever. Dear friends, I'm addressing royalty here. Prince and princesses. What do they say? Once a prince of Narnia, always a prince of Narnia. Once a princess of Narnia, or a king, or I think it was a king. Once a king of Narnia, always a king of Narnia. Once a queen of Narnia, always a queen of Narnia. Dear friends, you're going to rule and you're going to reign forever with Jesus. The problem with Christianity is that we leave it there. The problem with Christianity, even if it's taught properly from a biblical perspective, is that it's always some future day. It's always some future date. The amazing thing about the resurrection is the life of the age to come has broken into planet Earth right here, right now. The amazing thing about the new birth, the day that heaven culminated all its planning and scheming and caused you to be born again, there was an intersection of eternity. You were born again with imperishable seed, never to be lost. Heaven came to earth. You were a new creature, no longer a citizen of New Brunswick alone, but actually a citizen of heaven for eternity. This heaven has broken in to planet earth. We've got to understand that the power of Jesus' resurrection is not just for some future day. But again, as what Lisa and Anne said, as they kind of tag-teamed that together with that great reading as well in between, that this is a game-changer now. It affects how we live now. We've got to live in the power and the light of Jesus' resurrection. As Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. We don't just see things now. We don't see sickness and say, oh, that's a shame. Oh, what a pity. Oh, one day it'll be put right. No, we don't. We see sickness and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Have a taste of the power of the age to come. We don't see the poor now and say, oh, what a shame. One day you'll be rich in the kingdom of heaven. We say to the poor, be lifted up. We say, have dignity. We say to the poor, be restored. Have work. Have education. Have not just a, a, a hand out, but a hand up. We restore them to dignity, giving them a place of honor amongst princes. We speak to powers of darkness and dark forces and we don't say one day you'll be defeated. We say right now, in Jesus' name, submit to his power and authority. Stop that, do that. It's ever so important, dear friends, that we learn to reign now. This is a practice for all eternity, but we must start to work it out now. Jesus didn't pray, let your kingdom come in some future age. He taught us to pray what? Your kingdom come, your will be done now on planet earth, on earth as it is in heaven. I love what Paul writes in Romans, Romans 5 verse 17. It says this, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned, 
Well, yes, it did. By the trespass of Adam, one man, death reigned. The serpent won. If that happened, if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, and we'll hear a lot about that at the conference to come, and the gift of righteousness, free gift, how much more will they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Dear friends, we're called to rule and reign in life. We're called to bring in the kingdom of heaven as if it was real right now on planet earth because it was real in Jesus and it is real now in us. This separation of heaven and earth, which one day will be brought together, is now brought together in you. You are the joined up people. You are the heaven and earth united people. You are the people where the kingdom, the rule, the reign of eternity is living right here, right now. Now that must give us some confidence, dear friends. It must give us confidence to declare the gospel to our friends. One day, every knee will bow. You see, one day, their knee will bow maybe out of fear. Maybe one day, their knee will bow out of fright to Jesus when he's revealed in his glory. We're asking that that future bowing would happen now, not out of fear, but out of love and respect and honour and receiving him. So we say we preach the gospel so that we can get that bowing of the knee right now in their lives, so that they'll be saved from a lost eternity without him and saved into the kingdom of heaven now. We have that authority as those who rule and reign with Christ. That sickness, that suffering... Those financial circumstances that you're struggling with. You see, one day it implies there'll be riches abounding that we won't need for anything. Now actually, this is not a prosperity gospel, but actually we can, in faith, talk to our finances and talk to our circumstances and talk to things and we can say, line up with the kingdom of heaven. Now I know God uses things to test us and try us. I know that. I understand the battles and the struggles. But you know what? It's a battle and a struggle of faith. And faith is a muscle. Faith, see, Gary Gallant, not here today, unfortunately, would have been the butt of jokes. (laughs) But Gary didn't get where he was today just by going on a gluten-free diet. (laughs) Little (laughs) in-joke. He got where he, I mean, Gary's arm... The circumference of Gary's bicep is bigger than my, my leg. I, mean, really, I once compared it and thought, no, it really is bigger than my leg. It's like, it, it, and, and if only he had legs, it would be amazing because <laughs> he'd be fully grown. You know, he'd be a full, uh, and one day, one day in the kingdom of heaven to come, perhaps he will be fully grown. You know, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, he, he I love him dearly. You understand that. He has, he has these incredible muscles why? Because he's pushed against resistance all his life. That's with weight. He's pushed against weights. You don't get it by going, you know, you don't, it's not worship muscles. It, 
He gets it when he pushes against real weights, when he pushes against real resistance. See, God allows trials and troubles to produce something in our lives, to produce faith, to produce gold. So actually, these things, we should welcome them actually as trials and difficulties. But the reason that we do that is to push the trial away. Not to go, oh yes, trial, trial, trial. Look, I'm a real Christian, I'm under trial. No, actually let's push it away. Let's say in Jesus' name, submit to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, no. Now, are, is this over-realized eschatology for those of you who are theologic? theologic? <laughs> who have some theology? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not an over-realized. I think we're very under-realized I think we get very little of the kingdom of heaven now in our experience. There's a whole lot more to get. How much more? I don't know, but a lot more than you've got now. A lot more than I've got now. Actually, you look at how Jesus lived. That's the kingdom of heaven on earth. Did he have trials, suffering, persecution? Yes. Did he have friends who desert him? Did he have people who lied and cheated and beat him? Yes. But did he heal the sick? Did he calm the storm? Did he proclaim God's kingdom? Did he cast out works of evil? You bet he did. Why? Because he was the joined up man. Heaven and earth were together in one body. Dear friends, you're in Christ. Heaven and earth are together in one body and it looks like you. Now one day this actual body is going to be redeemed and restored. But right now we can live it out. So as we bring this message in for a landing. Why are we planting churches? Why are we going to Vancouver? Why are we going to Charlottetown? Why are we going to Halifax? Why are we going to St. John's? Why are we going to Moncton? Why are we going to Atlantic Canada? Why are we doing these things? We're doing these things to declare to every man, woman and child that the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. That you can meet the living God. And the best way to do that is to be spirit-filled communities that declare together, because this is not individualistic, just me and my salvation. Look what a man or woman of power I am. This is about a community of love shining out. I'm so impressed with the guys at Charlottetown, how they're reaching out together, how they're being a community together. These people are not just a pile of bricks, they're an edifice, they're a temple being built that God's glory comes amongst them. You're doing fabulous work here as you read out with the street work program as Kelly leads you in that as you start to meet the poor and the needy you are declaring the kingdom of God and that's a communal thing Kelly can't do that on her own and she's done pretty much better than most people I know on her own but she together what can we achieve together kind of sounds like one of our family promises, doesn't it? That we can achieve more together than we can on our own. That's true for individuals. It's true for churches. It's true for networks and movements. We can do more together because there's a multiplication in that. Therefore, we're going to every community on planet Earth. Will we, as Christ Central Churches, fill and every community on planet Earth? Of course we won't. But we'll play our part in it. We're on our watch, on our time, we'll plant as many as we can. We'll see as many saved and added as we can. We'll see many set free. We'll see many healed. We'll see many bondages broken. Why? Because that's the mandate as kingdom people. That's the mandate as joined up people. That's the mandate when heaven touches earth. That's what's going to happen in the future. Dear friends, we're called to walk in it now. So let me ask you this week. 
as you're out and about, or out in the boot, as you would say. As you're in the shops, in the malls, as you're in the offices and the schools and the colleges, as you're in your neighborhood and in your street, be aware that you're a kingdom carrying. You're a presence carrier. That heaven and earth are joined up in you. And I prophesy to you that you'll come across sick, lonely, depressed, despised, downtrodden people who look very smart sometimes on the outside but are aching inside for what you're carrying. And sometimes we're far too shy. Sometimes we're far too Canadian. Sometimes we're far too nice to know that we've got the answer. We've got the words of eternal life. We're the kingdom carriers. We're the presence carriers. We're the ones who join up heaven and earth. We're the ones who can bring hope and bring life. Now, we can't preach a message like this without applying it to ourselves. In a moment, I'm going to hand over to Joe, and Joe's going to lead us through breaking of bread together, which is a biblical, wonderful family celebration of those who love Jesus celebrating his death and resurrection. Joe will explain that in a moment. But we want to pray particularly for anyone here in two camps. And I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you which camp you're in, but I'm just going to call for response. There's some here who've never knowingly submitted to Jesus as Lord. You've never actually thought, was there a time and a date? Was there a space on planet Earth where I said, today I own Jesus. Today I call him Lord. Today my knee bows. Today I submit to him. Today is when I recognize that he carried not just the sins of the whole world, but my sins on his shoulder. That's today. That's Easter Day. It's a great day, isn't it, to do this. Easter Day. 2014, 2014, at this amazing convention centre in Fredericton in the heart of New Brunswick. That can be your day that you mark. I'm going to call for response from you to say yes today. Now, the Bible's full of calling for response. We're very Western. Very Western is, I'll give you an idea, you go away and think about it and process it at home. Well, that's not what the Bible says we're to call people to repentance. We're to call people to respond. And I'm calling you this morning to say yes to Jesus. That's the first group of people. The second group of people are those who know that in their body, right now, the kingdom of God has not fully come. Right now, you know that there's disharmony in your physical body. I felt a couple of things as I was praying to the Lord this morning. I felt there are some here who are out of tune in their mind. It's like a depression or a stress. Or it might be an actual mental illness, I don't know. But there's something in your mind that you feel is out of kilter, out of tune. And God wants to straighten it up this morning. Then I felt also there were people with joints that were out of line. I don't know whether that's knees, backs, shoulders. But I just felt there were minds that are out of line. And somebody prayed it earlier about lining up our minds with God. And I thought, yes, that's the word of knowledge I've got as well. Our minds need to be lined up. So if that's you, you, you're stressed, you're depressed, you've got some mental illness, whatever, we're going to pray that that lines up. And there are other people who physical, it's a joint thing, 
backs, knees. There are, there are bits of your body that you feel are out of joint, out of line. One day the whole of creation is going to be put back in joint. It's going to be straightened up, straighten up and fly right. One day that's going to happen. There's going to be a glorious proclamation. But ahead of time we can say your kingdom come now on planet earth in your body. So if you're in one of either of those, I guess that was three categories, wasn't it? Those who've never surrendered to Jesus, those who have issues in their mind, and those also who have issues in their body. We're not going to ask you which three categories you are, but just so that I know that I'm getting some of this right, would some of you just like to stand now, if that's you? If you can stand, of course. If you are physically unable to stand because of joint, you can just wave at me. Everyone else, have your eyes open. You see, I think sometimes we get too super spiritual in church and we all shut our eyes. The reason I ask you to keep your eyes open is although I'm going to pray right now, the way we're going to minister to you is in the bread and the wine. And that Joe's going to lead us in that and we're going to pray for you. So look at it. These are your friends. These are our family. These are people that you've invited along today, this morning. And I'm just going to pray right now, then hand over to Joe. Please remain standing if you can. Everyone else, just stretch out your hand in love and in faith towards these people. If you feel comfortable, you may touch them appropriately. Because the Bible says, lay hands on one another that we might be healed. It's appropriate touching. In our society, we've withdrawn from that. We need to have appropriate touching. Now, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to join heaven and earth. That you came in the flesh, the Son of God, in the flesh, heaven on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, you lived and breathed and slept and you went around healing and doing good. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are now those who are in Christ. We're now those who have been born again. And the same presence, the same spirit that lived in you, Lord Jesus, at your baptism, the same spirit of God is upon us right now. And in Jesus' name, we pray where, there, where knees have not bowed to Jesus, we pray right now, surrender to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Submit your life to Christ. We pray where the minds are out of kilter, out of line. We're worrying and doubting and thinking things we shouldn't be thinking. We know that, but we can't change it right now in Jesus' name. Be changed. Be straight in your mind. Think right. Line up with the kingdom of God. And we speak to these joints right now. We speak to joints and knees and backs and arms and wrists and shoulders where you've been out of kilter, ankles and toes and fingers, where you've been out of joint. And in Jesus' name, ahead of time, one day you're going to be straight. But right now, we say straighten up and fly right. Straighten up right now. Be straight. Be aligned. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Right. Great. Thank you, Jeremy. Okay. You can just have a seat for a moment. I'll give you some instruction as we share together. So first of all, let me just read uh, from 1 Corinthians 11. And this is Paul writing to the church there. And for us today, we read this. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm going to ask some of our life groups are going to come, and they're going to get ready to help serve this morning. So they're going to come to you, so you can stay where you are. I'm going to ask Dan and the team to come uh, and to get ready to lead us in some more of our worship to God and our singing. Okay? And as Jeremy has just said, when we come, we take the bread and the cup. We remember Jesus' death, what that means, his resurrection from the dead, where he is today, that he's alive. And we take part in that, and we give thanks, and we remember that he's coming again. And for some of you, maybe this is the first time. If you've prayed that prayer and aligned up with what Jeremy has said, this is a wonderful Easter thing to be able to share in the Lord's Supper and the in communion together. So every Christian here, you're welcome to take part. If you would, maybe don't consider yourself a Christian, you're able to just stay and observe. And uh, what we do as Christians in our family here, you can stay with us, and then we'll close with a song. Okay. So as those serve, you can pass that through, and Dan and the team are going to continue to lead us in our worship.